0: Good afternoon or morning or whatever time it is where you're listening, fellow nerds. Um, This is your host, Josh. I'm here with Ben and Zeke, who is new to the pod. An interesting fact about all of us is we all are twins. Ben and I are twin brothers, and Zeke also has a twin. Yeah, so if you um, can't tell the difference between um, myself and Josh's voice, then that is completely understandable. This is Ben talking to me right now. And we hope that doesn't interfere too much with your listening pleasure.
1: Yeah. And this is Zeke. I'm glad to be part of the podcast. Glad that Josh and Ben invited me to be on here. Glad so, to be here.
0: So a little bit of background in terms of The Way of Kings, which is the feature book of this podcast, is Ben and I have been longtime fans of the book series and have followed it pretty much since it was published. I have only read the book once or twice it's been a few years for me. Ben just finished a reread and Zeke has just read it for the first time. So we have a myriad of different experience levels with the book and we thought it would be a good time to jump in and record a podcast. Right and obviously um, this is kind of starting our preparation for Stormlight 4. Um, Fun fact about when we were recording it, Sanderson um, just I think last weekend was giving updates um, about his progress and he You just finished the first draft of Stormlight 4, which is currently untitled. So we figured that now is as good as time of any to start kind of preparing for that book to come out. And I believe the release date for that is November 20th, of 2020. I could be wrong on that, but I believe that's what I remember seeing. So it's just a few months out, or I guess 11 months out from the time of this recording, and we are excited for it. Okay, so I will let's jump right in. I'm going to read the goodreads summary of the book very very light spoiler warning the whole beginning of this episode we will keep it very light on spoilers um, so you can kind of get an idea if you would like to read the book if you have not yet we will give you plenty of spoiler warnings before we start talking about spoilers so on to the good goodreads blurb i long for the days before the last desolation the age before the heralds abandoned us and the night's radiant turned against us a time when there was still magic in the world and honor in the hearts of men the world became ours, and yet we lost it. Victory proved to be the greatest test of all, or was that victory illusion, illusory? Did our enemies come to recognize that the harder they fought, the fiercer our resistance? Fire and hammer will forge steel into a weapon, but if you abandon your sword, it eventually rests away. There are four whom we watch. The first is the surgeon, forced to forsake healing to fight in the most brutal war of our time. The second is the assassin, a murderer who weeps as he kills. The third is a liar, a young woman who wears a scholar's mantle over the heart of a thief. The last is the prince, a warlord whose eyes have opened to the ancient past as his thirst for battle wanes. The world can change. Surge binding and shard wielding can return. The magics of ancient days become ours again. These four people are key. One of them may redeem us and one of them will destroy us. Okay, so Zeke, what is your uh, response to that blurb? Does it do a good job in summarizing the book? What do you think?
1: I think at this point in my reading, I have seen, yes, this this blurb does do a good job at summarizing some of the key points you are going to see in this book, some of the key characters who are going to be part of very important events in the book, um, these characters that I think Brandon Sanderson has put a lot of work into. I think it. I think it does a good job, and it and it slightly introduces the magic system, um, but doesn't go too deep.
0: Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think that you know, if you were to just read this blurb uh, without having any background knowledge on the book, you wouldn't know what surge binding or shard wielding is, and one of those things you might not even know what it is until three quarters of the way through the book. Um, so it kind of sets you up for the, like learning, a steep learning curve that accompanies this book. So if you're into kind of finding out what those words might mean, then, then you will probably enjoy the book. Yeah. So I think that this blurb is interesting. I don't know if it does the best job at setting this, the tone for the story. I think that it kind of makes it seem a little bit more mystical than what the actual, book entails the magic system again light spoilers is a very is a hard magic system it's not very hand wavy in the term in the sense of like a harry potter magic system and so this just seems like it's kind of mystical whereas the actual magic in the book is much more hard magic yeah i also like it's not clear who's writing this you know like like who is who is we that are watching you know it's kind of That's kind of, it's written from an interesting perspective for me. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it, I honestly think it's a C job in terms of the introduction, maybe a five out of 10. Um, I don't think it does an amazing job, but it does do a good job in introducing kind of the four people that we start off the series following. We pick up a lot more along the way, but those are the four in that first book. Some other Goodreads information is this is a very high rated book on Goodreads. It has a 4.65 stars. With over two hundred fifty thousand ratings and sixteen thousand, over almost seventeen thousand reviews, um, it's very h- highly rated on Goodreads. I think for a while it was actually the highest rated. So it's it's a well-regarded book in the world of fantasy, and it's a it's definitely a good. okay. So let's jump into a, a quick content rating for those of you that are unfamiliar. We kind of go through and give a little bit of um, a rating in terms of like. PG, PG-13 of different aspects of this book, just because it's kind of hard to find those ratings other places. So Ben, what do you think uh, this, this book would should be rated in terms of content? Um, okay, so like for violence, I would say it's kind of a PG-13 rating for me. I would say that like, like some PG-13 movies, you're exposed to violence on a large scale. You, know, you might see war um, and be forced to confront death and kind of the feelings around death. Quite a few times during the book but it doesn't go into the gritty details of that so much um and so i think yeah like i, I would say a pg-13 rating for violence
1: what, what would you say teak um i would say that it's that there's a large spectrum to pg-13 movies while well, one is barely scoots into pg-13 one is barely staying in there instead of staying out of the the r-rated zone and um while the violence itself isn't necessarily graphic. There is a lot of violence. So I would agree. It's, well, actually, I would, I'll say I'll disagree. I would say some of the violence does scoot into our, some of it's a little gory, um, kind of like one, you know, bad, I would say one bad ingredient might ruin the whole brownie. But since there's a little bit of that extra gory violence, it scoots all of it into, the R-zone for me, Okay. If that makes sense.
0: Uh, yeah. I, I don't think that you're going to... Um, if you've read a lot of, you know, fantasy before, this is nowhere near as dark as like a Joe Abercrombie or a George R.R. Martin. Uh, the violence isn't isn't at that level. Uh, but there's there's a lot of it. And Brandon Sanderson does not shy away from, you know, describing a killing. He doesn't go into a ton of gore, gore detail, but he doesn't shy away from it. So... I think that the violence is for sure the the most content that you're going to get out of this book. I think you'll know pretty fast if it's too much for you, you know, it's not like within the first hundred pages or, or so you'll have a night of it bother you too, too much. Um, okay. In terms of the um, sex, Ben, what, what do you think? I mean, there's, there's nothing. There's I think a few cute scenes where you get some light flirting and that's about it for this book. So there's there's hardly any romance and maybe one passionate kiss or so, but there's nothing big. Okay,
1: I would actually disagree with that a little bit. I think some of it. Um, I think there's um, a pl- part in this book where it does describe um, a woman being naked from the top half up. Ooh, I'm trying to remember that part now. Okay, so so some I can de- see
0: that. So some some descriptions not. Uh, not overly graphic though, right? It's not, you you never, this is a book that you could read on the train and uh, nobody's going to think you're some sort of
1: creep. It's not Fifty Shades of Grey. It is, um, there is some detail in there, but it is not, you know, getting heavy in the book at all. There is some flirting, but it's, I, in my opinion, it's a little more than just, you know, sunshine and daisies.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um, in terms of swears, there's really not a whole lot of swears. Um, maybe there's some in-world swears, meaning like the Wheel of Time kind of popularized. They say swears that pertain to the world. I don't really want to ruin them for you because some of them are kind of funny. Um, beyond, beyond that, maybe damn or hell in there, but nothing nothing crazy. So you don't need to worry too much about that. Okay. Any other Any last thoughts on that content rating?
1: I think that's accurate.
0: I will say if you've read a series like Wheel of Time, it's about like Wheel of Time, I'd say, in terms of uh, violence and sexual content and swears about on that level. So if you've read that series or any book in that series, I think that you'll have a pretty good understanding. Okay, moving on. So now we are going to get into spoilers. So if you have not read the book and you are planning on reading the book or you do not want spoilers, now would be a good time to go uh, buy the book and read it. Um, If you want to... I would recommend it. I think it's a great book. It is a large book. It is a long book, and it might not be the best first introduction to Brandon Sanderson, um, but it is a it is a really good book. If you've read any of Sanderson's other books, I would highly recommend. it. Okay, so let us start with the premise. So, Ben, would you like to introduce the premise for us? Yeah. So, to try and summarize the premise in a book like this that is kind of an epic fantasy, it's kind of hard. I would say just this book you're looking at a young man um, named Kaladin who's our protagonist and he was trained to be a surgeon by his father but he also has these inclinations towards war and he's very good at fighting and so you kind of have these two conflicting um, parts to him that kind of motivate his character throughout the whole book and you see that um, kind of drive much of the story Um, and so I think that the premise is is pretty strong in that regard that it's kind of focused on this character who um, is trying to overcome um, his drive to fight and protect those that he loves while also trying to um, help and heal people. Okay. Zeke, would you agree that's a good, a good summary of the premise?
1: Yeah, I think it's a pretty good premise um, with um, the surgeon turned warrior. Um, I would say that a lot of the, book is spent on him really deciding on who he is going to be um, and that is one of those key themes presented in this book is how your personal choice affects who you become
0: very nice yeah i think that's a good premise i think that the the is a uh, kind of broad thing sanderson kind of picks one person to be the protagonist the main main protagonist of the book and so a lot of what we're saying pertains to I think that the premise is cool. It's a, it's a cool kind of unique introduction to this world. Um, it's also kind of from the crown boot soldier uh, perspective, although you do also get other perspectives throughout the book, but I say it's a strong. Yeah. Okay. The plot. The plot is kind of, I wouldn't say all over the place, but if you have not read uh, a lot of epic, epic fantasy before, it can get overwhelming, especially at the beginning of the book. At the ending of the book, I think that the pacing is a little bit better, but I do think that this book starts off a little bit slowly. I know a few people who have read the first few chapters and putting the book down because they kind of just get bored by it. But it it has a big world to introduce. Yeah. Um, so I would give the plot just looking at this book, I mean, I would probably give it a six out of ten, maybe. I think it's I think it's kind of buoyed up by the the world that's been built and the characters that you follow. But I I don't think that the plot is the strongest point for the if we're just looking at this book alone as a standalone book. So, so yeah, my rating for plot is six out of 10. I don't think we gave the premise a rating. I would say the premise is a strong eight and a half or nine um, to kind of go back to that. But yeah, those are that's my rating for premise and plot.
1: Yeah, I would agree that for the plot, that the world building as part of this story is is one of the strong points, but um, too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. I think with uh, with this world building, sometimes I found myself getting a little bit lost in, in Brandon Sanderson's world and wondering where I actually was in the story and what was actually going on. Um, so while the, the world building is great and a very strong point, um, it also kind of turns into one of the book's weaknesses for me.
0: Okay, so kind of the plot is brought down a little bit by this slow-moving nature of the world-building and setting. A little bit of background is this is the first of a total of ten books. Um, there's going to be kind of two sets of five books, so it it has a lot of groundwork to do, but you can tell it is definitely the first book in a series. Okay, moving on to characters. Uh, Zeke, do you want to start this one? Let's focus on. Let's start by focusing on our main character, Kaladin.
1: Okay, so Kaladin. Um, in my mind, is kind of your classic protagonist. He's somebody who is very conscious of his actions. He wants to help those around him. He um, is not, he doesn't have very many, very many, if any, uh, evil or even mischievous notions. He just wants to um, focus on helping those around him. You see him throughout the book, finding those who are in positions that are are extremely challenging and and difficult to deal with and, and Kaladin, oftentimes throughout the book focuses on trying to help them and that becomes his drive, uh, is is helping them up the ladder per se. He wants to help them improve their their situations. He wants to protect them, and so um, but he does go through a lot of ups and downs um, multiple times. It's not just once. Um, it's he's. I guess he's not a a one loop roller coaster. He's he goes through a lot of different things that that I think are very relatable. I think Kaladin is one of those characters that many people could identify with. Um, he is not idealized in in some aspects. He in some ways he is very kind of stuck to the protagonist side of things. He he always tries to do the right thing, but as far as his um Challenges go. He seems to be very human. He he's very relatable to how he experiences and how he suffers through those trials. And so I think that's a very strong part of of kaladin and and he really is, in my opinion, my favorite character in this book.
0: Um, I think that kind of if we um, look at kaladin as a character, I think he's one of the only characters that I've read in fantasy that is purposely written to have depression, um, kind of like chronic depression. And when I first kind of, I like was reading like Reddit reviews about it. And I was like, well, of course he has depression. He was like sold as a slave and like all of his friends were killed and like all these terrible things have happened to him. But on the reread that I just did, I realized that he kind of had a melancholy um, experience as a child. Um, when we kind of, um, kind of hear him as a youth, he would go through these melancholy moods that his brother Tim would be able to um, kind of care him of. And so it made me realize just how much of, um, how well thought out that was for Sanderson to have kind of built out a character with depression and um, not stigmatized it and not classed over it. I think that, I mean, it's just, it's awesome to have read a character that that, um, that, has that as part of his personality and his drive. Yeah, I'll agree. I think it's really hard when you're writing a character with a trait like that to not have the trait be the character i think that this is it's easy to get pulled into just describing um in this instance his depression and everything is focused on that but that's not how life is that's not how people are and i think that sanderson does a really good job in this and not having his depression define him as a character he still has a lot of other motivations and a lot of other reasons why he does what he does I will push back a little bit on on what Zeke said about him never really having temptations to do evil. Well, I don't think necessarily he has evil temptations. I do think that he has a lot that he has to um, combat with how he views like the light eyes, his relationship to them, his hatred of them. And I think that that is, that's an important part of his character that kind of leads him to make some poor decisions and have, maybe some outlooks that he shouldn't have or needs to adjust throughout the book.
1: Yeah. I guess you know? if we consider bias being a sin, then yes, <laughs> he, he has a sin or two. Well, yeah. well he,
0: he kind of has that be a, a, a motivation for him to kind of, you know, do some not so great things throughout the first
1: book too. Right? That's, that's true. But I, it's, it's, yeah, it's so small for me that I, I can't, I don't know. I I feel like I just can't hold it against him when I myself have my own biases against people.
0: Yeah. And I think that those biases aren't unfounded either. Like the thing is with Calvin, he looked up to the light eyes and he thought they're kind of infallible in his youth. And then like his first experience is the high lord or whatever that comes into his town and totally just like destroyed his life. And then like, he was like, okay, maybe that's just that one light eyes that, that doesn't, that doesn't, you know, really represent the whole. And then he looks up to Amaram and then Amaram just kills all of his friends. So like, you know, his biases aren't unfounded, but that's still, it's still something else to work through. I agree. Okay. Trivia question. What was the light ice name that came into Kaladin's town? I knew you were going to ask this.
1: I think I know uh, it. it. Okay. Let's hear it. Zeke. It's Roshone. Roshone. R-O-S-H-O-N-E.
0: I believe that is correct.
1: Uh, yeah. That sounds right. Nice. Yeah.
0: Very nice. Bonus question, what is the name of Kaladin's town that he grew up in?
1: I know this one too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Zeke, let's, let's hear it. Hearthstone.
0: Very nice, very nice. Okay, uh, yeah. kind of a very Two rivers-y if you're looking at Wheel of Time or um, even, even the Shire, kind of just small, a smaller town that is kind of coming out. Um, let's touch base on some of our other characters. We do not have to go quite as in-depth, but let's talk about, Shalon, the four that the kind of blurb mentioned. Let's talk about Shallan, Seth, Dalinar. Yeah, let's let's keep it. So let's talk about Shalon first. Well, I think overall, I, I love um, that Sanderson, you could tell really had these characters built out. He doesn't necessarily, necessarily show that in the first book, um, but you can tell that there's been a lot of thought put into these characters and each of them kind of has a, um, has a lot of unique things about them that make
1: them interesting to follow. I would, I would agree. And, and first off, but I mean, with, with Shallan and, and with any other book that really has multiple core characters that aren't in the same place at the same time. And so they're chapters that include each other. It can, it, it it's a hard um, thing to juggle all those characters. And, and I'll be honest, I found myself bored at the beginning with, with Shallan's character uh, of, in in the book of Way of Kings, um, it, it Sanderson flip flops between Kaladin and, and Shallan, And Kaladin's chapters at the beginning are are interesting. There's a lot going on, and then it switches to Shallan, and it's it, it's a much more slow paced, and it and it feels like you're watching an action scene in a movie. And all of a sudden, they're they're walking through the mall, and then you switch back, and it's the action scene again. And and, and so for me, it was it was a little bit of a it's like you're letting gas out of my tank you know when I when I would get to Shalons chapters and 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 that w- those would be moments for me that I would really consider putting the book down for the time so and, and take a break from reading it is when I would hit those chapters
0: okay so I feel like maybe what we're hearing is that characters are strong but pacing maybe not so much
1: yes I would I would say that was what I would be saying in a very short sentence <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah I, I agree with that I think uh, to kind of we can kind of move through these categories a, a bit faster, maybe. I would say that the characters are awesome, but realistically, this book could have been done in five hundred pages instead of whatever it is a thousand. Um, I think that so I think characters I would give like a strong seven and a half, eight out of ten, with a few standout characters being nine or ten out of ten, nine out of ten or ten out of ten. Um, but pacing, I was like Zeke, you know, especially on a reread, you're just like all right, cool, we're back to shalon studying with, Jas- with Yasna in a library. Like, this is cool. I guess I just want to skip this chapter and get back to Calaboo. So. so one really compelling part of Shallan's arc that I liked was <clears throat> her relationship with, okay, you guys are going to have to help me out, with the... Uh, Ooh, what's the, yeah, what's his name? Dang. With, with the, oh,
1: he's the, the fake ardent.
0: Yeah, with the ardent.
1: <clears throat> it starts with a k i believe
0: dang i need to do a better job of remembering names in these books <clears throat> yeah so i really liked her relationship with capsule um and i thought that that was an interesting dynamic slash friendship and i was i was pretty engaged with that all right uh let's go through let's just touch really quick on dalinar i really like dalinar you could tell that he had a troubled past and that he was trying to put it behind him i thought it was pretty compelling I thought it was a good way to kind of see uh, foiled with Kaladin and kind of get exposed to different viewpoints of the world that you weren't getting through or...
1: Yeah, with Dalinar, I'll admit, at first I was a little frustrated because I thought Sanderson just painted him the same color as Kaladin. But as you read further, you see that he's really not the same personality type at all.
0: And finally, Seth, I thought that his completely different culture um, was a really cool way to introduce him. I thought it was compelling to be able to hear this assassin that didn't really necessarily want to be assassinating people, but was really good at it and had the tools that he needed. Yeah, see, I think I would push back on Zeth a little, at least for this book. Like, when a Zeth chapter came along, you knew what you are going to get. You are going to get this guy that didn't want to be killing, that was going to go kill people. So, like, for me, there wasn't much to his character besides just that. So... I think Zeth was probably my least favorite character in the first book. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Let's move on to oh, uh, so overall overall rating for the characters, you kind of gave a gave a range between six and ten from what I heard, Ben. <laughs> Depending on what character you're talking about. Yeah. I'd say overall, um, I would say seven and a half, eight out of ten.
1: Yeah, I would I would give a seven for the book the characters in the first book. Very nice. I
0: I would range more towards maybe a little bit higher, maybe an eight uh, just because of how many characters uh, were introduced and how I thought that you had a good understanding of uh, purpose and journey journeys were. Okay. Let's move on to world and setting. And Zeke, I'm going to give you the opportunity to start us off on this one, because I know that this might be uh, your biggest bone to pick with.
1: You are correct. So Brandon Sanderson spares. No, he leaves no rock unturned per se with uh, his world, he um, with the different countries, with all the different plants. He he describes the different animals. He describes the different plants, um, the different countries and their people. And he goes very much into detail with it. And it's not at the beginning, just in the beginning where he's trying to explain it all. It's very much detailed throughout the entire book. And for me, this was like Josh said, one of my biggest bones to pick with the book because sometimes I felt you'd be reading something in the in the chapter and and I would get lost in in what I would describe as as this ocean of detail and I I wouldn't know exactly what was going on. I would I would lose the thread of the chapter and and what um, the main ideas Sanderson wanted you to hold on to were. I would lose that in the details of those chapters sometimes.
0: Yeah, so I think I would agree with that. I think, so it's kind of like a wonky way to look at the book, and this is how Sanderson describes it. He describes each of these books as being three books combined into one that are separated um, throughout each of those books by interludes. And I feel like those interludes were sometimes super hard to get through. They were about like characters that you never seen before and probably weren't going to see again and um and they're about parts of the world that you might not care about and they would often happen after something super exciting because that was how you set it up which was definitely a stylistic choice like you would have something major happen and you would be left like oh what in the world just happened and then you would find yourself reading this interlude that you didn't care anything about so um so i think that the world building combined with that stylistic choice of pacing w- would be something that you had to push. Okay, I'm going to disagree with both of you. Um, It has been a while since I've read these books. However, I think that nobody besides maybe Robert Jordan has done as good of a job as establishing the world as Brandon Sanderson. While I agree, well, okay, I should say uh, Tolkien in there has for sure, he has a world built out. But besides Tolkien and Jordan, I think that Sanderson kind of takes the cake and maybe in some ways beats beats them out. And while that can uh, slow down the pacing of the book and uh, kind of interrupt the action, I think that when you're picking up a tome this big and diving into this world that is this large, I think that's kind of what you are signing up for. And so I think that in my view, this is the best part of the book. Um, but I am I, I really like it. So if if you are not up for you know these type of worlds being established and the time that that takes necessarily, then I could see how you might not like it. But I thought it's probably the strongest part of them. Um, so I think look at I remember being in a lecture with Sanderson when he was describing that they had like an internal Wikipedia page set up for Stormlight that like would detail. All of the currencies and all of the calendars and all of like all this information that obviously Sanderson cares a lot about and has put a lot of thought into that the average reader cares nothing about. So yes, like you're signing up for like a certain amount of world building, and I thought some details of it were amazing, and other details just I I couldn't care about.
1: Yeah, I agree, and, and I think. Um there are two ends of the spectrum with world building one is creating a world off of something that is already very very familiar with with us like with uh jk rowling setting up harry potter in in um london or in england in the 80s where m- most of the world is something we already understand and then the opposite is sanderson and tolkien who are building this brand new world and have to describe every single detail um and while it's very creative, it's, it's not everybody's cup of tea.
0: Yeah. I, you know what I will say, and this is like light spoilers for the third book. I will say that the payoff came for me in the third, at the end of the third book for this, but that's all I'm going to say about, about the world building. And, And I will say when you are comparing, you know, this book to Tolkien, I think that's a, that's a really good thing. You know, that's comparing him with arguably the greatest fantasy author of all time. And so it might not be for everyone. And if you are just in the mood for fast, epic, you know, fast, there's a a lot of epicness in this, which we'll get to later. But But if you're just in the mood for a fast story, then maybe not for you. But the thing is to push back on that. Like, I feel like I, I forget how long exactly Lord of the Rings trilogy is, but I feel like all three of those books could fit into the first book. So like how did Tolkien build such like a compelling world that you could really see? And he did it in like, a third of the pages you know what i mean well that i mean i mean the plot of lord of the rings you know is much more linear and not as you know it's following way fewer characters and it's not doing nearly as much in terms of what's going on in the world so okay um let's let's move on past that i i do think that if you like epic fantasy if you have read the wheel of time if that's how you're getting exposed to sanderson is by him finishing the wheel of time then you're getting something similar with the descriptions and with the building of if you have never read this type of fantasy before, then it will be a hurdle that you have to, is that something we can. Yeah. All, fair all agree enough. Okay.
1: That's yes, how I would agree.
0: All right. So let's get to pacing. Um, ben, you alluded to kind of the way that Sanderson has uh, chosen to lay out these books um, and how sometimes that worked for you. Sometimes it didn't. Um, what is your overall, rating on pacing i think i'm gonna go six out of ten on pacing i think that um he did what he was trying to do really well and i just didn't like what he tried to do with it so
1: six out of ten okay zeke i would i would go even lower like three or four out of ten i'm gonna be honest um the pacing in this book was extremely slow for me um and it seemed like it was stalled you know in the air for for 600 pages or something like that it felt very long to me Um, and and, I mean I read this book in a week I blazed through it but I remember during this experience that much of the time I was really frustrated with the pacing and with how slow everything was and I felt at the end of every chapter I'm like when is something big actually going to happen when is something going to change and and it took a while for anything really to happen and then the end of the book is great it's it's a great ending And, but I felt like it took so long to get there that I'm questioning myself, was it really even worth it at the end? And, and, and I would say a tentative yes, because it's a great story, but really the pacing for me was really bad.
0: Okay. Um, it's been a lot of years for me since I've read this. So I think that this is the part where I'm least qualified to speak on, but I remember, uh, the last few hundred pages of this book just being enthralled. And I think I read, you know, the last few hundred pages, almost one sitting. Um, so it, there was a lot of buildup, but I thought that the the last all the climactic scenes were done wonderfully. And but I will agree that it's been a long time, so I'm probably just remembering you know those very epic scenes that that were very well paced. So okay, all right, let's do uh, prose. So um, I'll start off us off on this one. Sanderson, in a few lectures I've, I've heard and seen, is, he, he talks about his uh, writing style as being like a clear window um, to where he is just trying to allow you to look through his words on the page to what is going on in the world. He doesn't use a whole lot of flowery or really, you know, beautiful poetic prose, um, like maybe a Patrick Rothfuss or a Tolkien does. Um, but I think that that allows you to be in, this, in the story. But if you're going here for a feat of literature in which you go through, you know, poetry and, and amazing prose, then it's probably not what you're going to find here. Yeah, I think, I think I agree wholeheartedly with that. I do think that the ideas contained in the book are awesome. You know, I, th- I, I feel like it's kind of shaped my worldview almost for certain things. Um, like, can you really help people by, by hurting other people? you know, so I feel like the ideas that he explores are amazing, but they're done in the simplest words possible.
1: Yeah, there isn't a whole lot of metaphor or illusions in in his his writing style. It's very, um, I could say, I, I guess it's how you might think of how a man thinks. It's It's very direct with a lot of ideas.
0: So I think overall rating for prose would be, I don't know. To me, it doesn't take away from the book. Like I've read some books that um, like I really can't stand how many times they say like a certain phrase um, so I'll say I'll say a six out of ten again because it didn't detract from the book but it did not now either so I think that the, what this book benefited from was uh, Tor doing an amazing job in editing it and making sure that none of uh, you know no s- silly errors slip through or anything like that you could tell that this is kind of their hallmark series and so they put a lot of effort into making sure that the book at least is edited well. Uh, and you don't have a lot of, like you were saying, Ben, repeated phrases or things of that nature. Okay. So let's start with, let's go over depth briefly and briefly. Ben, do you want to start on this one? Yeah. So I think that this is honestly what sets Sanderson apart from literally any other author that is writing right now is the amount of um, amount of depth that you can go into with this series. Um, if you if you've never been exposed to the to the Cosmere or like Sanderson's universe that he's created, he basically has like all these books from Mistborn to to Elantris to um, like all these different series that kind of all relate to each other. And you can read all of them or just one of them and be able to enjoy it equally as much. So there's like at least one character in the in the first book. Um, and that is, that is Hoyd in terms of the Cosmere, but he's called Wit in this book. That really kind of, um, he kind of helps Kaladin along his path at a certain point that is crucial. Um, but if you didn't know that he was a player in the, in the Cosmere at large, that doesn't matter. So I feel like depth is amazing and the fact that you can go as deep as you want or as shallow as you want and you'll enjoy the book all the same. All right, Zeke, so let's hear it from you because I believe this is your first introduction to the Cosmere and Sanderson as another, correct?
1: Yes, this is. Um, I've had some people talk to me before about his other books and how there are crossovers within this Cosmere, and so I'm starting to get this idea of that Brandon Sanderson's books are similar to, you could compare it to, you know, the, the Marvel Universe. You, you could Make the statement that Brandon Sanderson's books are marvel in in the book world. Um, with with what's been described to me now, I haven't read the rest of his uh, books yet, um, but I I am interested in doing so. I, and I think I will be over the next few months here, digging into more of the Cosmere here. Um, and I I think it's he's set up a lot of potential with with the depth of of what you could possibly do inside this universe that he has created
0: yeah i think that those are both very good summaries i would push back on the fact that you can enjoy it as much if you haven't read any of the other books i think that especially in the third book some of the characters you really uh would want to be reading warbreaker and Mistborn to really kind of understand some of the motivations but it is definitely a standalone series and you are not forced to read those. But I think it does increase your enjoyment if you do. Okay. So um overall depth, I would say I agree with Ben that this is probably one of the strongest parts of the book. And I would say, yeah, probably one of the strongest in fantasy right now. Yeah. Ten out of ten for depth for me. Um it's amazing how much detail and and, and thought is put into the the over like the all the layers that are kind of underneath the actual story. And if you doubt that, then go on 17th chart and be careful of spoilers, but you will get sucked into many different rabbit holes. All right. So let us move on to our final point, which is epicness. Let's start with you the time, Zeke. What did you think?
1: All right. So I thought looking at the book as a whole, the epicness uh, could have used some improvement. Uh, the beginning, it hints at it and it gives you kind of a taste, but then it doesn't give you... Any more of it, um, you might get another taste or two there, like here and there, as you continue throughout the you know thousand or so pages. But around page eight hundred or nine hundred is when Brandon Sanderson really does bring it out, and and those hundred or two hundred pages are are really really amazing. A lot happens in it. It's very um, intrigue. It, it's very entertaining, and it sucks you right in, and and you really don't want to put the book down during those 200 pages or so um, because so much is going on so much is affecting the characters you care about um, and they're very dire situations um, but that one moment does not make up for the the lack of of any epic situations to me um, in the previous 800 or so pages before, before that real amazing ending sequence so for me i would i would give it probably a six or a seven
0: okay i'm gonna disagree with that because i read this book like for the first time right when around when it first came out what like five years ago i don't know it's been a long time and there are certain scenes that i remembered in my head i'm like surely that's just how i envisioned it and it was probably a little different but when i did my reread of it it was almost exactly the same so those four scenes, I think, were um, one when Shallon was um, poisoned and had to kind of reveal that she had tried to steal um, Yasna's, um, oh, I'm forgetting the name of the device, um, her soulcaster. So that was a, a super epic scene for me, a big payoff. Um, next scene when Caliban slays this, uh, the Shardbearer and is um, then kind of brought into a room and Amaram kills all of his friends. Again, that like that scene stuck with me for five years, and I like remembered almost every detail from it. So, again, that to me was like a super epic scene. And the fact that these scenes like stayed with me, and I really didn't get any more when I read them the second time, is a good indicator for how epic they were. Then, of course, you have Sanderson leaping over kind of off of the pr- bridge into a sea of Parshendi, and totally kicking butt as a. That's I mean that's just as epic as you can get, and. Then finally, when um, Dalinar kind of throws down the Shardblade blade to buy um, all the um, all the bridge bearers their their freedom, you can't really get better than that. So, like those epic scenes. Granted, most of them take place in the final 300 pages of the book. But to me, if I can remember those scenes with that much detail five years after I read the book, that's that's pretty awesome.
1: I I would agree that those are epic scenes throughout the book. But I I feel different about how epic those are it's the I, I would say the, the gravity of some of those scenes to me just didn't hit quite as hard as towards the end of the book when you have uh, Sadius's betrayal of Dalinar. That for me personally really hit hard and that was for me probably the craziest and most epic moment of of Way of Kings.
0: Yeah, I could I could see that. Okay. Well, thank you all for joining in. Um, I believe let's go for our overall ratings. From what I remember of this book, and this is definitely nostalgia covering it, and um, you know, definitely biased, but I would say this book deserves at least a nine out of ten in my eyes. Okay, I'm going to say after reading it years ago and then doing a reread, I'm going to say I'm going to say eight and a half out of ten.
1: All right, Um I would say. That for me, it's it's kind of like to get to all the really good details in this book. You or in this series, you have to get through the first book, and it's not my favorite as far as as a standalone. I would say it's probably a six or a seven. But when you if you get through it and you get to books two and three, and and I'm thinking four will be just you know as good. Um, it is very much so worth it. It's an it's an amazing series so far.
0: Okay, very nice. Well, thank you both for coming on the pod and thank you for uh, giving us some details and some review of The Way of Kings, the first book in the Stormlight Archive. If you like this episode, please check out our other episodes. And if you have any recommended book series or recommended episodes for us to do, do not uh, hesitate to leave that in the comments or uh, tweet at us or however you want to try and get in contact with us. We want to hear from you. Thank you and good night.